Okay, very good. First thing was something happened to a demon-possessed man. So what did, what did we see in that event? Anything come to mind quickly? Jesus' authority is his recognition in the world we can't see that they know who he is. Anything else? It's, it's pretty late in the day already, so we really should be awake. So, what well, we see Jesus' authority over the demons, we see his compassion. Everyone else was afraid of this guy. Jesus welcomed him to his presence and, and helped the guy, after all. What, was, what did the demons say his name was? Legion, which means a big herd, as it were. And I don't know if we can assume that there was at least 2,000, because that's how many pigs there were, but it was an amazing event. Um, and who, was this, who were the spectators to this event? Pharisees. And... Most importantly, yes, the disciples, and specifically the twelve. What else did we, what else happened then? You may say that. They asked him to leave. And did Jesus argue with them, or did he leave? (laughs) He left, and said, I don't want me here, so... Okay. Like I was kind of about how he was in some certain situations, like if he, you know, came to those that uh, maybe were willing to preach to those who would listen. Okay. Keep that in mind. So, what was the next event that happened? So they they left they left that area, went across the lake. And what happened? There was a crowd waiting for him. And in that crowd was? Jairus. And what was his request? His daughter was dying. And he asked Jesus to heal her. And Jairus was? One of the elders in the synagogue. So he was an important person in the community, and how did he approach Jesus? He did, on his face. And his request was his daughter was dying. So how did Jesus respond to that request? Yeah, initially he did, and then there was an interruption. What was the interruption? And how did she approach Jesus? Desperately. 
Okay, for sure. You could say presumptuously. There was a bit of presumption there, but it was, was it a, well, we don't know what was really going on in her heart, but she did, or we do know that she, what she thought, so what did she think? With faith. Yes. That, and how did, how was that demonstrated? What did she say? Come on, you guys got to keep this moving. So, so she figured that she would be healed if she just was able to touch his garment. She had so much confidence in his power that she thought just his, just touching him would be sufficient. And it was. And how did Jesus respond to that? Well, and he asked her to make a public confession. And that's an important thing we want to do. You need to make a public confession when we meet Jesus. So involved with that, which isn't real clear in the text, but our teacher last week said that this probably took a lot of, uh, quite a bit of time to, to bring her forward and to have all of this explained. And then at the same time, Jesus is teaching all the time. And we don't see that in Mark because he's brief. And yet this all added to the delay of responding to Jairus' request. Correct? Do we see that? Can you imagine if this were you, what you would be thinking about in... Um, what about my daughter? What about my daughter? So, we get the report then that Jairus' daughter has died and the instructions from the people bringing the news was that what? What was their attitude about Jesus' ability to deal with that? Well, that she had already died and so, you know, don't trouble him, it's too late. It's too late. Some serious lessons here aren't there and what did Jesus do what were his words this is the important thing to remember she's, she's not dead but only sleeping well first he told Jairus you know don't be afraid don't be afraid believe. just believe what a request. So it would be very interesting to have Jairus' response to that. But we don't. So Jesus went and what happened? He got to the house. So that they, the, so we, we, can, we can see there was a lot of time that passed here because... They hired mourners, showed up this is Jewish custom to, to um, we're just not familiar with that. We don't, we don't, uh, one, of the, one of the benefits of Christianity is we don't, aren't terrified and utterly 
dismayed at death anymore as much. Actually, we're way too insensitive to it anymore. But quite a bit of time came by. He, he went in with just three disciples, apostles, and raised her up. Brought her back to life. <clears throat> so anything significant about this event? <laughs> For us to note? I see Jesus. Sorry, really? I just see Jesus bring calm to a situation that looks hopeless. Hopeless. Anything else? So first... I think this is the first time that Jesus raises someone from the dead in the Gospels. That is correct. And so what I'm trying to do now is bring our minds to the disciples, the big group of disciples, and also in particular the twelve. So what have... I'm getting ahead of myself. So this was a big event for the a big learning experience for the for the apostles, right? They've been with him for some time. They've seen a lot of things happen and, and even raising the dead. I'm sure casting out demons, evicting demons, was a pretty dramatic event in those days because it seemed to be a very common phenomenon from our perspective on how much of that is recorded for us. But that is... Truly amazing. There's one other thing I wanted to maybe bring your minds to. Um, how old was this girl? Uh, well, Twelve. And how long had that woman who had been healed, was she afflicted with that hemorrhage? Yes, it says 12 years. So what we are seeing here is that God is orchestrating this event long before Jesus started his public ministry, bringing these events to occur for Jesus' teaching um, opportunities. And so this was all, again, about what Jesus is doing with the disciples and with the twelve. So let's go on now to Mark 6 and uh, let's read the first three verses if someone would do that for us. Got it. Jesus went out from there and came into his hometown and his disciples followed him. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue and many listeners were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? And what is this wisdom given to him and such miracles as these performed by his hands. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. So we do not know, at least by the text here, uh, how much of the previous things that we just reviewed came along or already arrived at his hometown. But it, that was a common thing. News spread quickly. People were constantly moving and news was a big thing because it all, 
they didn't have newspapers, so people were the news deliverers. So even with a certain amount of reputation that Jesus had already in his hometown, um, it's interesting how easily people are offended. So let's look into that a little bit. Um, so where, where did Jesus come from going to his hometown? I didn't bring a map for us, but you should have this one in your head by now. Since your real teacher is really good at showing you these things. They were at, they came from what? Place? Area? Sea of Galilee. Yes, they came from the Sea of Galilee. Nazareth is, I didn't think it was that far, but they say it's 20 miles from the Sea of Galilee southwest. So it was a, so again, quite a bit of time has elapsed. It takes a little while to walk 20 miles. And um, he went to his hometown. This isn't the first time that he has returned to Nazareth since he started teaching and preaching. And who went with him to back home? There you go. Keep yeah. It's just asking the obvious here. That's the, the, what I'm going to specialize in is the obvious. So they got there, but his disciples were with him. But that that includes the twelve. So it's a big herd. So he's not coming back to visit mom and his family. He's coming as a rabbi, as a teacher, because that's what his purpose was here. Right? He came to teach and to preach. So that's what he was doing. And then on, on, on Saturday, then, he, um, he went into the synagogue and taught. So what, were the, what was his response? What does it say that they responded to him? How did they respond? They were astonished. Okay. Also jealous or held contempt. Like, who is he? We know this guy. He's just like us. So they were offended by him. So isn't that a little curious? Usually, well, I shouldn't say usually. I guess it depends on the circumstances and the people, but typically when people become famous, the hometown is proud of them. So why were they offended here? Any ideas? Well, as Jim already mentioned, he's one of us. Um, so there's something is motivating this. Yeah. They, They're jealous in a way. When they were puzzled, they were saying, where, where did this guy get these things? How did he, how does he know this? Why does he have all this wisdom, which we don't, and how can he be performing miracles? So really, they're faced with a decision here, aren't they? They have to decide, where did he get this? Is this demonic activity? Is this God's activity? And I guess the, um, 
fallback position is you just reject it and get back to your normal life. So what else do we learn from, from uh, this encounter here and the comments made? I'll just kind of to your to your last point. It seems like very often on local news stations they will have you know highlights of uh, sports athletes or whatever that came from that hometown, but they are they are exalted. They are seen as kind of hometown heroes, but they have something that's different, unique outwardly about them. They're you know, six and a half foot, massive people, and Jesus he had no he had no majesty about him. He was just uh, average Joe, right? Um, and so I think that probably added to what Jim was saying. Who is this guy? There's nothing really outwardly special about him. We have to remember, too, there were, quote, well, magicians, fakers during this time. And probably a lot of people thought he was a fake. Hey, he's nothing special. He's the carpenter. Don't let him fool you. <coughs> Yeah, and we do notice they are being, as you said, they are being derogatory. They, um, they mention that he's the son of Mary. That's normally you're the son of a father, not the son of a mother. And that's, that's, a, that's a put down. Plus, obviously, they weren't impressed with James or Joseph or Judas and Simon or his sisters either. Yes, sir. Well, there's a, there's a saying, familiarity breeds contempt. And we all know this because the ones that we love and are closest to us, we know their foibles and their the red buttons we're not supposed to touch. And, um, you know, they, they knew him. They knew his family. They knew his brothers, his sisters, his mom, his dad. And... I'm guessing, but you know, it wasn't exactly um, in their minds. Jesus wasn't um, pure because of the circumstances of his birth. And they were denying what Mary had said and what Joseph had said. So they were saying, you know, basically he's a bastard and. They were wicked and cruel in their, their disrespect. And again, you know, uh, he came to Nazareth with a whole large group of disciples, not just the twelve, but many more. So he was he was a popular man. He was a teacher. He was a rabbi. But that's not what they called him. They called him a carpenter, which is as low as you can go, I guess, huh? Well, they, they knew he hadn't studied. He didn't, yes. as Paul, I studied under Gamaliel, you know. Jesus didn't have any of those credentials. Yep. Well, plus he was doing things elsewhere. The other thing is a certain amount of jealousy. Why isn't he doing all these miracles and raising people from the dead here in Nazareth? Why is he out all around the country. So there's all kinds of things that go on. So is there any lesson, are there any lessons here for us? Do we have that capacity to, to do um, 
such things, have such attitudes. I think somewhere we're told to judge accurately. Yeah. Well, remember when when Jesus was twelve years old in the temple, he was astonishing the the teachers and the rabbis at that point. And so the mere fact that he was from Nazareth and these people knew him and they grew up with him that was really no excuse. That just highlights their ignorance when he has this just two, three-day encounter with these other people, and they are in awe and astonishment, and they realize that he's unique. And these people who grew up with him, um, that just highlights the fact that they were judging the book by discovery and didn't really know him. For sure. And the, and the other thing that is, isn't mentioned, but we can only imagine with Jesus growing up, perfect and sinless, going through his teenage years, never doing stupid things, um, never, you know, all of that. They know him for, you know, upwards of 30 years. So they are very, very deep into their, whatever term you want to put on that. So what was some other, what were some of the other results of this encounter? Verse 4 is the hint there. <laughs> I don't want to get ahead of you. <laughs> well, yeah, that's what we're getting at. You know, the, um, well, Jesus replied, you know, Jesus commented on this. And um, uh, what did he say? He sent, yes. Well, he did, but part there were two results here is that um, he did move on. He and the other was that there was so such a lack of. I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, why didn't he do any miracles there? Was that because he didn't have the power to do it there? So what was lacking? Their faith. Yeah. If a person doesn't believe, you can't do much for them. Yeah, I think one verse says he couldn't do very yes. much, but it wasn't that he didn't have the power to do it. He won't. People weren't willing to believe. I think he chose not to. This does say he healed a few. So maybe those who believed and asked him to, he healed them. Those who were too proud to whatever to ask didn't happen. Does this ever happen to us? I have a I had an uncle who got cancer and he wouldn't he knew he had a problem but he wouldn't do anything about it. Um, and what is the reasoning for that? I mean 
think most of us are well conditioned past that. Now we want every little ache and pain investigated, but you know we can be very proud and not humble ourselves to the point of acknowledging our our need. And certainly, I guess one thing is you can acknowledge the need, but you also have to acknowledge what you need to do to get it fixed. And that's can be difficult. Okay, we've so let's go on to the next verses. Can we move on? Are there any questions, comments before we go on to the next section? He wondered at their unbelief and he was going around the villages and teaching. So he moved on. Let's go on and read the next section, which is 7 through 13. Could I get someone to read that for us? Yes. And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. So, at this point, Jesus is expanding his ministry. He's expanding his influence. So, let's look at the disciples a little bit. What have they learned in the in the bit of time that he was with them that they were with him let's go back and list as many things as we can remember that they have witnessed okay many healings What else? This is a busy, he's busy. He's sitting around. He's remember they're going from morning till late into the night. Not time to eat. Or how many months is? Or do we? I'm sorry, I did not see that. What kind of a? How long has he been in ministry at this point? I should have looked, figured that out, but I didn't. What else did they see happen? Let's, you know, let's think of, I mean, it's only, this is Mark, and we're only in chapter six. So we only had five chapters. It should all be in your head. You should have the thousands. Did he feed thousands already? Cast out demons. And dramatically so, many of them. Raised from the dead. He gave life to the dead. Killed the leper. 
Lepers, yes. And teaching that they couldn't explain, it was not man's teaching. He did a lot of teaching. All the time he is talking. Again, we lose, or we don't see that in Mark because he's being brief. But through the other Gospels, you know that he is always teaching. And we even saw that as he's walking, he's teaching. And what was, um, just recently, there was a another kind of teaching that he was doing parables. parables and he was giving training to his disciples about what he means by those things we saw that he had so there was a he's putting a lot of information into them that they have not had these guys are pretty much ordinary people of various walks of life they haven't been spent a lot of time in the synagogue learning. They weren't at any schools. They weren't sitting under other rabbis that we know of. So there was a lot of stuff going into their heads apart from the miraculous experiences. And certainly we saw how extremely astonished to the point of being terrified that Jesus could control the wind and the sea. Uh, this, they're getting a lot of training in here. And so, and some of them were also there when Jesus was baptized, when he first started, because some of these guys were John's disciples and saw that, and they heard God's voice from heaven. So, if, but I'm sure all of this was happening too fast for them to digest because they still had life to live. They still had, they were you know, dealing with the people, the crowds, and just a, not a real organized, they didn't have a, a um, it was almost there, but the big book that you get when you start a, start a new class a syllabus. Yeah, didn't have one of those with them. So, Jesus well, is... It was controversial, too. The yeah. healing on the Sabbath, and by this point, you would have already went in and cleansed out the temple, and I'm sure they were stepping back and just not knowing really what to think about that. Um, in John 6, when he says, you need to eat my flesh, um, and a lot of this, yeah. it's not so easy to sit back and say, okay, well, this is all good stuff. This must be the Messiah. I'm sure they were still going back and forth and not really realizing this man's different. There's something different about him. But it's not so cut and dry as to say, this is all good stuff, and I'm going to follow him without any reservation. They certainly were aware of the hostility of the um, religious hierarchy there against them, so they are by being associated with them, they knew they were they were walking on thin ice in in ways. Yeah, I think a lot of it is there's just so much going on so constantly for so long. Um, yes, their brains were jumbled. So giving them this opportunity to go teach 
um, the rest of the the rest of these um, as he's sending them out this is this is a new experience for them uh, and his instructions were were very interesting and I think I didn't get my orderliness here we already read that so he sent them out in pairs any thoughts on that Good thinking. It's just like the Mormons. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a wise thing, and it's typical. You know, we don't appreciate the hostile environment that they were living in. Uh, we're seeing more, more of that coming in our own country. Uh, I was at a meal last night with some people, and their daughter lives in the uh, near um, and I, southern Texas. Anyway, it's just a terrible place. It, uh, their their son-in-law was stopped by a police, and he was asked if he has a gun. And he said, if you get out of the car, make sure you have a gun in your pocket. Because this, uh, some of those border areas are just really, really unlike anything we're familiar with. And this is you know, taking over the country. What? I was telling Bridget, they're not allowed to ask that. And Bridget said, well, that's a little bit different. He's looking out for his safety. So. Well, yeah. Yeah, he was surprised, too. He was worried about what was going to happen. And... Uh, yeah, he, well, and you saw the, anyway, that stuff is in the news, and this is happening in pockets around, um, but that was much more common in, in those days. You didn't have, you didn't even have guns in those days, so everything was hand-to-hand, -hand, and so robbers and thieves and mean people you are susceptible if you're alone anywhere in the country out there. So it's just wise to go out in pairs. That's just a common thing. Eh? Yeah. You're, you, we need spiritual support from our brothers too. But what do you think of the guy that was out with Judas? <laughs> At any rate, all, you know, this was something I did want to mention. You know, Judas was in this group, and he was out seeing. He saw everything that they saw. He, he was experiencing these very things with themselves. So, so they went out in, with, in twos. Uh, and that's Jesus' wisdom. He, Jesus gave them, it says he gave them his authority over the unclean spirits. So that would be quite an experience for these guys. And it took faith on their part to believe that Jesus would, Jesus' power could work through them. 
And this, of course, again, is a unique event and a, a pretty unique period of time in history, but this is starting their training for the rest of their lives in which they are going to be able to use certain miracles to authenticate their message after, after Jesus leaves them. So the other, the next, or another condition was he told them to take nothing extra, just, just what they had, no backpack, no cell phones, uh, no extra clothes, um, you know, no suitcases. So why did he do that? And that includes what? Trusting people that's right. are going to. Yeah, the people that are going to. He definitely, again, this is a serious, serious uh, uptick in the lesson and the training for them. This is getting very, very personal now. And then the next thing was he... Well, all of that helps to keep them humble. They had to depend on the people they, they came to. And they also had to expect that they're not going to get a grand reception everywhere. I mean, they just came from Nazareth. So this was a, you know, they, they had some exposure to that. They certainly had exposure to the um, Pharisees and other leaders the hostilities that Jesus generates so they, they were aware of that do you, do you think this was a lesson how the Holy Spirit can work I mean that's what we're talking about God you know how he can prepare the way how he can, he can prepare people's hearts to help you to receive you to take care of you all that I mean they had they were dependent on God but I'm just thinking of maybe a lesson of how the Holy Spirit, what God works through His Spirit. Very, very reasonably so. And considering that demonic spiritual activity seemed to be pretty common to them, they certainly would need training on how God's Spirit works. And that it he can work through individuals, um, which I can't imagine. I don't remember, can't think of any place where, where they were able to do that before. This is, so yes, that certainly is part of the lesson. And it's not verbalized here that we see. And I'm, yeah. Any other comments? I'm speechless. Okay, and what was their, what was, you know, what were they expected to be doing? That's right. So they are again broadly replicating Jesus' experience up to this point. 
So they were to preach and they were given power over demons. So those were the primary things that they were to to demonstrate from themselves, being dependent on God and on the people that they are meeting, but being prepared that they would be rejected. Seems like that was probably more common those days. I mean, some stranger comes to your house that was on one journey, you know, you're kind of obligated to, you know, let them lodge, feed them, take care of them. But that seems logical these days, you know, it's in America. <laughs> Definitely different from our normal way of life. When I moved to Alaska, I was living with the pastor in the town, tiny little town, which is the first town that you come to on the Alaska Highway when you come into Alaska. And I was astonished that the people that, I was pretty young then, I was astonished that the people came through and then that's where they would go. The church was off the road by a couple of blocks. No, there were none of the, there were two churches in town and neither of them were on the highway, but somehow they knew right where to go. <laughs> and there would be people who came with all their possessions in the car, including their children. And they came to Alaska because God told them to come and they just packed up and came and just like these guys, they were, they were needing support. They were looking for people to take care of them, but I didn't see any of them to cast out any demons. I didn't hear any wise words coming out of any of their mouths. Uh, but this, was a, this is a constant, a constant thing. Of course, there are other people that were in need that would come by too. It's a, it's a, it's a challenging life, but somebody has to do it. And some of you young people may be sent to someday. And some of you already have. Where's oh, there he is. Some of you have lived that life. So what was the result of any of this? a good point. Well, you know, I suppose even even I would probably be impressed if I could found out that God wanted me to heal people and cast out demons. I probably would be happy to go back in spite of any opposition. It doesn't mention that there were any any real opposition to them at this time. There was a custom of the Jews that travelers, if a stranger came into your town, that somebody would take them in overnight. 
But that doesn't mean it always happened. It was, that was their custom. But, so, I mean, it still depended on the, one individual or a family saying, we'll take a rent. So as far as the mission goes, we can see that the, the, the name of Jesus was spread out. People heard more about Jesus, and right. there was a result in that way. Uh, but just like we see today with, especially with short-term mission trips, I think people go off and they think, man, I'm going to make a change, I'm going to change the world, and then they end up coming back more change than um, the impact that they have on the place that they're going to. And I think that was a large part of Jesus' uh, goal in setting them out so that the disciples themselves could be, uh, they could be sanctified, they could know what it is to, to go out and have a taste of their, their later ministry of the Great Commission when Jesus isn't gonna be there and what that work's gonna be like. So he was building them up and, and training them and setting them out to preach to other people too. Yes, it's truly amazing. I think this is really a critical section to keep in mind as you go through Mark and go through the Gospels and go into Acts. This, this specific training that Jesus did for them on those, in those three years. And, and as Tyler mentioned, there's a lot of jumbling going on in their minds that this isn't clear to them as it is to us because we've had 2,000 years to analyze it but even right, you know, right up to Jesus' crucifixion and after his crucifixion they were still not 100% worthy they still had a lot of questions and, and emotional responses and intellectual responses that could not be put down without God's Spirit living, working, empowering in them. So after verse 13 now, we have a, a change of subject for a minute, but I just wanted to have us look forward to, to the, just briefly, so we know to put a period at the end of this lesson. Uh, go down to verse 30 in Mark 6, if you're there. So they did come back, so we know that at least, that they gathered together with Jesus and they reported to him all that they had done and taught. So Jesus held them responsible and they did perform. That's, I'd really like to know what they taught. Probably, they probably wouldn't want that written down. But, and then he said, come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest a while. So what's that indicate? They were tired. They needed, they needed rest. Yeah, they needed to get away. This wasn't a, a, a picnic. This wasn't a vacation for them. This was hard work. <laughs> Uh, they probably didn't get fed too well. One of Jesus' instruction was that if, if when they got, when, when they were invited in, they were supposed to stay with that family the whole time. They weren't 
if they weren't supposed to take a better offer if one came along. You know, if they were, if they became popular in the town, then other people may want to have them at their house too. But they were to to stay where they landed. But it's yeah, that's emotional. If uh, so many of we're all old enough here. We know it. The, the dealing with people, if that's that's all you're doing, that's exhausting work. That is exhausting way to spend your life. So Jesus again showing his understanding, his compassion, and his care for his his own. And of course, you notice the note there. There are still many people coming and going. They didn't even have time to eat. So they went away and hid out for a bit. So we get to do that to Jeremy this summer, sending him away on his sabbatical for a month. You can't, I don't think we can overestimate the value of that to people that work hard. Well, I thought this was an incredibly interesting section to study, especially the 12 going out. I spent a lot of time. I got an extra week to prepare for it, and I still didn't do a good job of preparing because there's just so many, so many things to think about. Are there any other comments or knowledge that you already have but that you should share that I certainly missed? Yes, sir. I was just, the disciples, they knew Jesus was of God. They, they knew he was probably more than just a prophet. But they were, their expectation for the Messiah was totally different. They'd been taught totally different what was going to happen when the Messiah come. And they were having a hard time understanding that if he was the Messiah, when is this ministry going to turn? You know, and it wasn't turning. It was going a different direction than they expected. And then they had to say, well, maybe he's not the Messiah. Maybe this is something else. And so, they, I mean, in a way they they did believe, but they, but it wasn't adding up to them. And so they had doubts. They didn't like that he was going to suffer. Yeah. They were expecting a king to come back and pick the Romans out of Judea. <clears throat> he didn't fit their expectations. And that would be even more confusing for them later on when he sends them out the second time closer to his death. Yeah. And he says, no, this time you need to take a sword with you. If you have two tunics, go out and sell one and take a sword. And at that point, um, it would be even more confusing. Like, well, you say that the kingdom of God is at hand, and yet the, the kingdom means that we're going to take our swords and beat them into plowshares, and we're not going to have this, this war. And yet now you're telling us to go out with swords, and, and then he would die. And that's when they're just locked up in this room and totally confused and unsure of themselves. And um, yeah, it, it would have been absolutely confusing for them. But then they got the Holy Spirit, who would always be with them and would teach them all these things that Jesus had taught them and make all things clear. And it was a game changer. But the problem was their preconceived notions. Mm -hmm. and, uh... 
Well, there were a lot of there were a lot of problems, and we have to remember we have those too. You know, it's we're not we're not God. We're not even good saints. He calls us saints, but I don't think we would call any of probably wouldn't refer to each other as a holy person, um, especially if you, the more closely we know somebody, the more we know that they aren't holy. We're called holy, we're declared holy. So we also, even having these 2,000 years of training and explanations and all of that, when you, when you time comes to open your mouth or stick out your hand um, it's like you really need to be dependent on God because we just don't have it in ourselves they didn't have it in themselves awesome I've taken people on mission trips and told them we're going to go do this and when we got there the people says well this is what we need and some of them were resentful. I thought we were going to do this or that. I said, you know what? We came down here to serve, to serve God and serve these people. And whatever they ask us, whatever they need, is what we're going to do. I said, I'm sorry if it's not what you expected. But we have to be here to serve them. And, uh, you know, most people come around to that if they were truly willing to serve. But I think these guys were in the same deal. They were ready to serve, but they had a predetermined ideal of what that was going to look like. And you've got to be ready to do what God asks you to do. We have to do that every day in life. I get up every day expecting the world to be a little different than what it is. <laughs> Very well put. Yeah, it's interesting how Jesus, this happens at least here in Mark, uh, he, he, he did demonstrate some serious new power by raising the dead before sending them out. So they had, you know, they had, they had fresh, fresh example, fresh experience to go on to start out. Because, yeah, it's easy to stick your tail between your legs. I can tell you that. Anything else? Thank you for spending time with me. And thank you, Tyler.